Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Emotional Entrepreneur. Well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are emotional. I don't know any entrepreneur that isn't. Certainly passionate about what they care about. And there's nothing better than when you are emotionally invested in bringing something into the world. All entrepreneurs are creators. And we've talked this month about, you know, just our emotional selves and feeling our best and really creating the life that we came here to live. And um, our guest today has a new book called The Emotional Entrepreneur. And it's really a guide for women about the emotional challenges that go along with entrepreneurship, about launching and running and scaling a business, all the things that you face, um, fear, risk, uncertainty, anxiety. It's really funny, um, you know, working with entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur myself, like there are just certain things that every entrepreneur is going to learn and grow through and come up against. And I think it's funny because at the beginning of entrepreneurship, you know, it can feel like, oh gosh, I'm feeling fear as though you're the only person that ever felt fear, right? In the beginning of an entrepreneurship um, journey or feeling uncertain about taking certain risks that maybe you've never taken before in the past or feeling anxiety about going from, let's say, a corporate job or, you know, a very a structured job working for another company to now creating something that's all you, all your idea and, and everything's kind of on, on your shoulders as far as what you create and how you grow it and move it forward. And so there's a lot that people move through in entrepreneurship. And I think it's important to talk about the emotional aspect. I mean, you know, I love to talk about the emotional aspect of just about everything because it's that important. Um, but I love that someone sat down to write this book because uh, our guest today, Scout Sobel, has an intense passion, right, for this intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship. And she really truly desires for every woman to be able to understand themselves and to step into their personal power and create their dream life because that's what we're doing here is creating our dream lives. And this is like a great kind of book to go through for the real deal on entrepreneurship and understanding the emotional aspects. Scout's the founder of Scout's Agency. Um, she's also the co-host of the popular podcast called OK Sis and the host of the Scout Podcast. She's a trailblazer in the media industry for utilizing podcasts as a powerful form of PR. And she talks about that in this 
episode, also what podcasts have meant to her. After starting OK Sis, which focuses on female guests, Scout fell in love with spreading women's stories and identified the rising popularity and influence of podcasting. She started Scout's agency with an emphasis in podcast PR for women entrepreneurs, podcasters, and brands. Scout has also lived with bipolar disorder for the last 15 years. She was once unable to function in society, but after finding entrepreneurship and taking radical responsibility over her emotions, she is now able to live a life of purpose. So her debut book, The Emotional Entrepreneur, which I mentioned before, provides the mindset and emotional tools she learned from managing her mental illness that have helped her succeed in business. So no matter where we are in our life, emotional tools are going to help us to move forward in ways that maybe we can't even imagine today, but that are so important. And I think Scout's story is so profound, which you guys will hear in a little minute here, um, to understand that no matter what we face, no matter what mountain we feel like we're looking up at any point in our life, that ultimately we can face it and we can grow from it and we can learn and we can find things that fit us, that are a perfect fit for who you are and what you came here to express. And that you can gather the tools and the support from people around you and really be able to step forward in the ways that feel authentic for you. So with no further ado, let's welcome Scout to the show. Hey, Scout, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, and I think we're going to be talking about something that's so important and a very important topic, um, just emotions. I talk a lot about emotions in my work and mental health, and certainly coming off the last year that we've all been through, this is a conversation we need to be having like right now. Yes, I 100% agree. If anything, you know, my dad and I were reminiscing uh, the day, you know, I'll just jump in real fast. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you know, nine years ago, and it was not talked about emotions, mental health, et cetera. And my dad and I were just talking about it, how one of the gifts that came out of 2020 is this, I suppose, um, less of a stigma or this need to really, really prioritize and focus on our emotional health. And I think that while that aspect was very difficult for a lot of people that it that it provided a lot of strength as they went through uncovering what their emotional landscape was. Absolutely. So take us back like what I, I mean, I think sometimes like we can say, okay, I've been diagnosed with something or this is what I'm, you know, what I'm facing at this point in my life. But what led up to this moment in time of your diagnosis of understanding yourself as an emotional being? Like take us on the journey. Yeah. So I, I had my first depressive episode at the age of 14 and, uh, it happened quite suddenly. It was a really big onslaught of emotions. And, you know, looking back when I was in middle school in eighth grade, I was writing poetry and listening to a little bit of emotional songs and starting to learn, I suppose, the power of my emotions as well as, um, puberty, et cetera, really ignited all of that. But when I, when I went into my first depressive episode, my mom had just been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I went through one of my first breakups at the same time, and I really plummeted downwards quite quickly. I was wearing 
you know, monochromatic sweats and not the cute athleisure sweatsuit we see that came out of quarantine. Um, I stopped taking care of myself. I was restricting food, binging, purging, self-harming, and it became very apparent to my friends, to my family, and to my school that something was quote unquote wrong or that I was a little bit lost and over my head emotionally. And so I was placed in therapy at the age of 14 and it was a really interesting experience. I think a lot of the times when someone in high school is having mood problems, it is sometimes, and there's, you know, blessings and a curse, pros and cons for this. It can be chalked up to teenage hormones. You know, you kind of have to wait it out to see really. And Um, so while I was in therapy for, uh, you know, all of high school, I definitely went up and down. I had, you know, periods where it was too hard to even finish my homework, not out of cognitive difficulty, but just out of complete emotional paralysis of how I would move forward and function. I took way too many mental health days. Literally, I think I skipped school constantly just to sit by myself at a coffee shop and read. But it wasn't until I left for college that it became quite obvious that something was going on in my brain that was beyond my control. So when I went to college, I started uh, developing a sense of psychosis and paranoia that men were following me home um, underneath my bed, on my balcony, waiting to come harm and kill me. And that once I started losing touch with reality in that sense, Once I would stay up late, not moving a finger out of fear for a completely non-real threat, um, my family started to take a little bit more notice and we started getting a little bit more diligent with my care um, as I got more fearful of my mind, as I witnessed the incredible power that it has, if not managed and treated properly, I started, um, you know, trial and error with psychiatric medications, et cetera. And then a year, two years, two years later, I was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And since then I was 20 when I was, I was, I'm sorry. Yes. I was 20 when I was diagnosed. And since then it has been a nine year journey of healing with Plenty of ups and downs, you know, inpatient, outpatient, catatonia. I was once unable to function or hold a job. Um, so the healing process is a whole other story, but that's that's kind of the origin of how I was first introduced to the fact that I live with a mental illness. So during the time that you were feeling the fears, like, did you have any perception that maybe those fears weren't real or does the does the diagnosis have you fully 100% believe that this is going on yeah when you mean the fears you mean the men the yeah people yes yeah so I always am so grateful for the fact that my psychosis never developed into a full-blown psychotic episode where I completely lost touch with reality my body and my movements were in the camp that this was real, but there was some small 1% nugget of rational thinking that told me it wasn't. And I think that small nugget of rational thinking told me it wasn't because they happened so often and I survived every single one. And so I was always logging the evidence of the fact that they weren't real. So in the moment it felt real, I 
exhibited behaviors that it was real by not moving, by freezing, by planning escape routes in my head. But I always held on to, even if it was just 1%, that something bigger was happening that wasn't actually in reality. Yeah, interesting. And do, is there like a, any type of history in your family on either side of your family in regards to any diagnosis of mental illness? Yes, my mother uh, struggled with depression most of her life um, and still struggles a little bit. But yeah, she, uh, I got a lot of my genes from that beautiful lady. Mm, yeah. Cause I know a lot of times like it'll follow either, isn't it one side of your family or the other side of your family, like that, that you can kind of track back and see that maybe other people, you know what I mean? In your lineage have, have had a diagnosis or were undiagnosed. Yeah. My mother was adopted. So the lineage and family research on the genetic side kind of ends with her since she was the one that I think you know, if I genetically inherited it, it would have come from her. Um, but unfortunately we don't have much, much more information on her ancestry. But, um, yes, I I think that in that my mother was always able to have a little bit more understanding of what was going on because she, she saw a lot of me and herself. Yeah, definitely. And how, so you obviously are an entrepreneur and you have, you know, businesses and you've just written a book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. And how have you come to this point? Because I think a lot of times, you know, for anybody, even without a diagnosis, when you're in kind of times of your life and and definitely growing up the teenage years, you know, young 20s, there's a lot of emotional upheaval that can happen in people's lives. And when you're in that, it's hard to like think beyond that. It's hard to see anything else for yourself or to know like, okay, what is, you know, what is the rest of my life going to be? Or how does that, how do I get out of this place? So what was that like for you at some of these times that you're sharing and like, here you are today? Um, What was that journey? Whenever I do these interviews or even talk about my bipolar disorder, I always try to be so conscious of, the fact that where I'm at now sounds so drastically different to where I was and that I wish it was this overnight thing. I wish it only took a year. I really would say that I think last year at the age of 28 was when I did kind of a a really, 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 um, I don't know if the word is progressive or I did a lot of concentrated healing, but it really started when when you talk about people who feel stuck or it feels overwhelming or they don't know the next, the next step or the way out, that was me to the nth degree to the point where I couldn't even hold a job as a gelato scooper. I dropped out of college. I went through outpatient program. I was locked up under a 5150 where they deemed me a threat to myself and society. And I was definitely not able to function. And I didn't see a way out because many times I think that when we get into emotional patterns, especially the way, you know, when you're used to mood swings, in many ways, I became quite addicted to my depression. In many ways, my depression helped me stay in a comfort zone, regardless of how painful that comfort zone was. It was predictable. My brain knew and my body knew how to react to the anxiety, the paranoia, the psychosis. And even though I was in pain, healing required a different kind of pain. And so I had lost friends, jobs, internships, school, you know, 
very fortunate that my parents were able to support me through a really good healthcare system. But it wasn't until I was 21 and I started dating my husband, then boyfriend. And he looked at me and he said, listen, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I will stay in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be here. And one, it was a sentence that changed my life that I will be forever grateful that he told me. But two, it was so simple. I didn't need to read books or do a program or go to therapy or do this. He just said, can you just have some hope? And so that's where I started. I tell people who feel so stuck, sometimes that stuckness is compromised when you try to change it and your body will go haywire. So, you know, keep the stuckness for a little bit. We don't have to unearth it quite yet. But what would your life look like if you just had a little bit of hope? And so I didn't change anything about myself. I didn't change my habits, my rituals, my routines, my medication. I just woke up the next day and decided to be hopeful. And that energy was quite contagious and it pushed, pulled me forward. Suddenly I was writing lists of three things I was grateful for every single morning. I was reading every self-help book possible. I went into support groups, which changed my life tremendously. And so I was able to, in that year, get to a point where emotionally I was a wreck. Like, let's be clear, right? I was still depressed, anxiety attacks, all the things. But I got to a point where I was able to stand up and I was able to enroll in a community college class and work a very part-time job as a barista. And it was in that, with this hope, with these small daily rituals I started adding, that my brain finally saw something different, which is when this idea of entrepreneurship came to me. But if you're feeling stuck, sometimes it's hard because it looks so daunting. The road ahead looks so daunting. And I always say, if you're willing to step onto the healing path, don't think that it's going to be one month, two months, six months, a year. It, it is a lifelong dedication, just like it is eating healthy, right? But it can start and, and is really propelled forward by very, very simple things. And so for me, that was just trying, just trying to live a day with hope. And what I felt, my hope has now turned into faith, I would call it more. Um, but that was the number one thing that started. And, and for me in that moment, and this might not work for everybody, you know, I didn't know how to fight for myself. But I saw a man standing in front of me that I wanted to fight for. And so I think that for me, until I got the strength and found the confidence and the beauty within, I had an external goal in mind. I was going to fight for him and make him proud. And, and that served me. That doesn't always serve people, but that served me until my brain provided me enough evidence that showed that I was strong, confident, beautiful, smart, passionate, and all those things that then I now today fight for myself so significantly. So I hope that answered the question and helps anybody who is maybe really in the depths. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And what kind of for partners, you know, because sometimes maybe a partner is listening to this who has somebody in their life, whether they're married or boyfriend, girlfriend, like, what was valuable about your partner, like, and how he showed up during this kind of the beginning of your relationship when you guys were boyfriend and girlfriend and, and how it is now that you're married? 
it's something that we're still trying to figure out to, to be quite honest. My mental illness has, has provided a lot of trauma for him. It has been very difficult for him to watch and navigate. He comes from a healing background. He's 10 years sober. And so he had a lot of the tools to help me move along that journey, but we've run into, you know, him being responsible for my healing journey, which is not healthy by no means. Have we done this right on so many levels? Um, but the reason I think that we're still together and strong and support one another is that we are willing to figure out how each needs to be communicated. So, you know, for him, when it comes to healing, he needs to be communicated in a way that's totally different than what I need to be communicated with. And so it's understanding the nuance of each person's preference. However, it is a very delicate dance because in many ways, people talk about the narrative of enabling addiction and alcoholism, you can enable mental illness. And it's not something people like to say, but it's very true. If I have so much anxiety that I can't get to work and my family says, don't worry about it, we'll call your boss, that doesn't give me the opportunity to feel safe within my anxiety, to challenge it, to strengthen it and show up anyways. That gives my brain the saying, if things get too hard, I get to quit. And so it's been a struggle for us because he doesn't want to enable me, but he wants to so significantly and unconditionally support me. And so what that looks like, if you are a partner with someone with mental illness, I highly suggest getting into couples therapy so that you can really uncover the communication methods that are, that are efficient and successful and make the other person healed or feel he heard and loved. I think that I'm learning about this thing called co-regulation right now. I think that partners have such profound impact on their partner in the sense that if their partner is spinning out of control, if they can sit and provide calm, grounding, supportive energy, you'll see the other one start to calm down as well. Um, so it's for sure, for sure a dance, but it's, it's definitely something I'm highly grateful for on, on his end that he continuously wants to show up for me, for our relationship, and and he has challenged and pushed me in so many ways, um, but by all means, it it has not been not been easy on us at times. Yeah, I yeah, co regulation for sure. Like you know, we I mean, I study energy, and I'm an intuitive, and we are beings that regulate to our environment, right? Totally. We energetically take on what's around us. And especially for, you know, sensitive people who uh, sensitive goes hand in hand with emotional, um, we are feeling right. What's in our environment all the time. So I can only imagine, you know, in a relationship, what goes back and forth. It's like, it's hard after years to even know what's yours and what's the other person's and, you know, where, where the edges of you begin and the edges of them begin. And um, yeah, I can definitely understand that dance. And like you said, it is a dance. It's exactly a dance and finding, you know, I think for each couple, like what works and how you guys dance together for any couple is just valuable and important. Yes, 100%. And also just for me, it took a long time because I would outsource my emotions to him constantly because I felt that I couldn't handle them. And I think that coming to the realization that my husband is not responsible for my health and my happiness, but rather I am, I think allows two people to show up in relationship with 
radical responsibility for their half, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you, so on your journey of entrepreneurship, you have a couple podcasts and what was, when did that begin and what you obviously have a lot to do with podcasts and your entrepreneurship journey. So what has a podcast platform meant to you as you've been on this healing path? Oh my gosh. It's meant everything. You know, I started my entrepreneur journey at the age of 21 when I launched a magazine that I thought I would just print at Kinko's and pass out to my friends. But the minute I asked my friend if she wanted to start it with me, my brain switched. And all of a sudden, the girl who couldn't even freaking show up to her gelato scooping job was researching printers. And I had 10, you know, meetings with the top printers. And then I was raising 10,000 on Kickstarter. And we had a three issue run and Barnes and Noble contacted us to sell it. And musician Halsey was on the cover and it became so clear to me that entrepreneurship, because of my mental illness and the way that my brain worked, you know, the ups and downs, and then having that radical responsibility as an entrepreneur, since it's all you, became so clear to me. And it was finally, finally a vessel that I felt like I could do something with, that I didn't feel completely, you know, which is a terrible thing to say, you know, worthless at. And so, I went through a bunch of iterations, you know, as a college dropout, my career has been a little bit, a little bit interesting, but I was working for my mom at the time, but I I had a podcast myself because I lived next to, this is so random. I lived next to a wholesale produce store who, for whatever reason, decided to open up a podcast studio. And since I knew all the girls who worked there, since I was always getting my produce, I asked if I could jump in and they said, yes you know, that ended up, I turned that, yeah, it was so funny. So random, like literally probably the randomest way to start a podcast. This was, um, (laughs) this was like five years ago. Yeah. Five, four years ago. And, um, it was stale and long story short, I decided to create a new podcast with my sister called OKSIS podcast. And OKSIS was the inspiration and essentially the proof, uh, for my agency, Scouts Agency, we interview different female entrepreneurs and only six months into less than six months, truly actually less than six months into OKSIS podcast, our community obviously was much smaller than, than it is now. But even with that smaller community, I recognize that our followers or I hate the word followers. I apologize. Our community were following our guests on Instagram and buying their products. And then me and Mads would be guests on podcasts, and then we would see our downloads go up and our Instagram community go up. And I recognize that being a guest on a podcast, as well as just having a podcast, is the best form of PR. And so with that, I was working for my mom at the time and really itching to be my own boss again. And that had always been kind of my number one goal in life. I created a media kit. I had three services, book high-profile guests on podcasts run podcast tours for women where we just got them, our client, as a guest on a bunch of podcasts and then traditional PR. And I literally just made a media kit. I had an Excel spreadsheet of a thousand clients, dream clients. And I emailed all of them. Day one, Gmail uh, blocked me as spam. So I opened up another email account. (laughs) And, you know, four months later, I was quitting my day job. Six months in, I had a roster of 10 and we've run podcast tours for women like Kat Sadler, Jessica Zweig, Rebecca Minkoff, Demona Hoffman, Vanessa Rossetto. And it's been 
this insane journey of being able to work with dream women. But back to your question, it all started because I believe so significantly in the power of podcasting. Podcasting, if you have a podcast, first of all, it's the best networking thing you can do. If you have a brand, a business, a product, whatever it is, I highly suggest running a podcast, not even for the purpose of monetization, but for the purpose of networking. There is no other also medium. I mean, here, I'll go back to the networking thing. You get to meet people within your industry and have conversations with them, deep conversations that you can really foster those relationships off mic. It's changed my life with OKSIS, the amount of women that we've interviewed that we're now friends with. And then as a medium, there's no other medium that is so long form in a world of, if you don't catch them in three seconds, their attention span is gone. Podcasts are the, you know, so antithetical to that. They are long form. They're intimate. You hear someone talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour. And if you resonate, you have a deeper connection to them than if you read a quote, you know, in a magazine that they wrote. So podcasting for me is not only powerful, but then on a personal level as a co-host of OKSIS, and now I host Scout Podcast, which is my personal podcast where I just talk about mental health, entrepreneurship, and spirituality, is that you really grow up on the mic. You really get to process, emotionally process. You get to hear new perspectives from others. You get to reflect. And in that, it's a very, very beautiful personal development journey as well. Yeah. So agreed. It's so fun too. I mean, we've had like over 300, I think episodes now and just the amount of people you get to connect with. Funny story. We are, um, we have a new website that at the time we're recording, this is in process. And, um, and so we, had to go back and like redo all the graphics, right? Which is quite a chore. Um, but it was the coolest thing because I was looking them over and one of my team members had done them and I was going back and I'm like, every one of these people over years, right? Like I remember sitting down and talking to every one of these people. And I even remember what they shared and what we talked about. And like, it was the coolest, just jog back on memory lane, right. Of like, Oh, I'm even lived in different houses since I've had my podcast. So it's like, Oh, I lived here when I interviewed this person. And, and it was the coolest, like aspect that you could know that many people and have that many deep and profound conversations that obviously, you know, I get to share with all you guys, Um, but it was kind of like one of those moments where you look back and go, wow, what a journey. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, there's so many other mediums where you go back like on YouTube and you see your life, but podcasting, it just, it involves so many different walks of life, different perspectives. And it's, it's intimate, it's vulnerable, it's raw, it's unedited. It's, that's why it's, I think everyone should have a podcast personally. I just, I, they're so powerful, I think personally, professionally, the whole nine yards. Agreed. Agreed. So tell me about your spiritual journey and how this, you know, we are in such a interesting time on planet earth of so much spiritual evolution and raising consciousness and, you know, all people are feeling it in different ways, whether they're processing that as, you know, what it truly is or not. So I'm just wondering what your perspective is on your mental health journey and what your spiritual journey is and how those have, you know, interacted with each other. 
Yeah, my spiritual practice has so flourished the last year, which has been so beautiful. You know, I think that I, when I was introduced to healing, I was introduced to the 12 steps due to my husband. And that is really based around having a higher power of your own understanding. And so it's been something that ebbs and flows, has ebbed and flowed in my life, um, but has only recently become a permanent cornerstone foundational aspect. It is the thing that makes me feel so supported when I don't feel my best. It makes me feel comforted, secure, and safe in moments of anxiety and panic and chaos. It is this connection that allows me to meet my soul over and over and over again. And every time I tap into a interchange God in the universe, I see life more vibrantly. I see moments of fulfillment and joy so intensely. I'm just rooted into this bigger collective energetic web that we're all a part of that is based in joy, you know, and that's the feeling side of it. That's what it's brought me on a, on a feeling level. I attribute my relationship to the universe and God and spirituality is one of the reasons I am so incredibly strong today and have faith in my ability to manage this life. But and what's so beautiful about a spiritual practice is that it can go all over the place. So, you know, I can get into reincarnation and how I don't think we really die and my spirit guides and all of that good stuff. But at the end of the day, it's really just this grounding foundational feeling that I'm connected to something, that I'm connected to a collective web, and that when I go about my day and react or create or speak connected to that feeling that that's when my true soul comes out. That's when I get to assess whether things are really in alignment for me because it's not a matter of what my brain thinks or what rational things they are or what I should or should not be doing. I, I have such faith in the wisdom of my soul and my intuition and my body. And so I'll sit on my couch watching 30 Rock with my husband and I'll just get this wave of total joy and fulfillment that doesn't feel fleeting or airy or light or, you know, light in the sense that it's not built on a steady foundation. It feels so grounding as if, as if I'm just here for a major reason, as if it's all just perfect. And so being able to tap into that energy, I think, makes my life so beautiful. I see my life as complete and utter magic. And people say, you know, they want to find the fountain of youth. I mean, I say I found the fountain of strength. And in that fountain of strength comes support and joy and fulfillment and love. It doesn't mean that discomfort and hard things aren't present. They are. But it just means you can walk through them and just know that you're safe. 
Beautifully said. Do you think that your, you know, in regards to you brought up a little bit spirit guide and past lives, and we talked about all this on the show. Um, do you think that, you know, there is connection to the mental health journey in this lifetime to things we, we might've experienced in other lifetimes? And do you also feel that, that the way you choose to live your life. So like, if you were to, let's say, you know, have a job, like you said, you know, working as a barista or doing something of that nature. Um, and that was something that didn't, let's say, light you up inside, like, like you have found podcasting does or entrepreneurship does. Do you think that all affects, right? Your, your well being? Yes, I do. And I don't have all the answers or know how to so specifically talk about that. But yes, I believe that we carry with us our past lives. I believe that, you know, we chose the specific life because we have things to either learn, process, move through, et cetera. Um, you know, when I was four years old, I had this reoccurring dream that I was raped. And I couldn't, as an adult, figure out where it came from because I had a very safe childhood and we confirmed with my parents that nothing physically happened to me and no one could figure it out until I was told that a spirit who wasn't allowed on earth wanted to be here so badly that he attached to me at the age of four and you know I I don't put such I don't know if emphasis is the word or, or concrete definition to things but in many ways, that experience when I was four shaped my psychosis, it shaped my paranoia, it shaped my mental illness, it shaped my fear of men. And that narrative, I think, holds a lot of truth. Yeah. So I, yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I met my first mother who birthed my soul onto this planet. She's thousands and thousands of years old. And it was the most beautiful meeting. I met her cupping when, when I was in a deep meditation. She looks after me a lot. So yeah, I guess that's such a long way of saying, yes, I believe that to be the case. Yeah. And you know what else is interesting? Like, I mean, it's causing us like to just our awakening as, as humans, right? At, at this time are causing us to like reevaluate so much about the way that we see what the human experience is. And one of the things um, that I intuited and I talk about um, is specialization and how, you know, a lot of the newer energies coming on the planet and then some people that are kind of the way showers for the new energy coming on the planet, that, that they have a deep, profound trust in the whole, meaning mm -hmm. if we specialize, right, in something, like if I'm really good at building a building, then I don't need to know how to write a book, right? Or I don't need to know how to, you know, be a barista. Like this is what I came to express in this lifetime. And this is my part of the whole. And because I have like a profound trust and faith in others to do their part of the whole, then, then I can just be totally specialized in what I do. And when you look at, you know, our education system, it's not a so much about specialization, especially at the younger years, right? It's about learning all the subjects, doing all the things. 
And, um, and it's fascinating because what they were saying is like, you know, as we, we will have to revamp how we think about life, because in the past with older generations, there wasn't the trust and faith in other people. There wasn't the oneness. So people didn't feel at a fundamental level, human beings didn't feel like they could rely on other people to specialize and, and kind of have their back or have their piece of the puzzle. So there was a greater need to understand, you know, a more global, right? Like I understand how to do English and math and science and all of these different subjects. And I need to know for my own kind of base level survival, but that actually like, as the consciousness is shifting that, you know, the kids being born um, on the planet will have more specialization and we'll have no worry that other people don't fill those other parts of the, of the pie, right? Because at the fundamental level, they are greater, they have a greater connection to the oneness, even moving into human form. Fascinating, right? So good. So good. Because that's exactly how I felt as a kid. I would skip statistics and just try to get an 80% so that I wouldn't get a C because I just knew I was never going to need statistics. I did it with physics. I did it with the sciences. I did it with the maths, but I applied myself so significantly to literature, English, art, you know, it was, I am all about the specialization and I had no time for that other stuff. Yeah. And that's exactly how it shows up. So it's like people get labeled as kids get labeled as, you know, a problem child or they're, you know, failing in these subjects. And that truly like, as time goes on, I mean, we're already seeing this in the education system, like just a total breakdown, you know what I mean? In, in the system versus who the kids are. It's like, what do you do in the whole class? Are you going to label the whole class, right? Like as defiant, um, before, you know, back years ago in school, maybe there was one kid that was labeled as defiant, but these kids, you know, now, and I feel like you are kind of a, a way shower, right. Of this energy, but it's, um, these kids are coming on the planet going like, there, there's no point in any of this. Like, why would I take time? You know what I mean? Learning these other things when I have nothing to do with that, that's not my piece of the pie. It would just be a waste of my time. Shouldn't I focus on what I'm going to specialize in and become the best that I can be in that? Cause it's my God given gift. And the reason why I chose to incarnate on this planet. Um, and so literally me, literally me, my entire yeah. adolescent life. totally. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, and my parents would be mad. I was like, guys, I'm here. Once. I'm not wasting my time in physics. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally. Totally. And you're, you're, you know, you are like a way shower for these younger two generations kind of on the planet. Um, that are, that's what they're saying to me right now, like that are coming on the planet. Um, and so, yeah, just understanding that is so valuable um, because there's just, there's just waves, right. Of more and more people. And it comes from fundamentally knowing the oneness, right. And fundamentally knowing like, you know, that when you connect with other people, you don't have to know how to do it all that, that you draw towards you and manifest, right. The zone of genius that you need, right. Like, Oh, this person can do this really well. Like I'll bring them in. Right. And they'll be part of this journey. Um, so it's really cool. Like, um, so many times, like, I think, that when we are way showers or we are um, gifted in certain areas, like the current systems aren't built to recognize those things. And so, you know, it's so awesome that you've been on a journey of recognizing that for yourself and being able to share with others, right? That, hey, just because, you know, you're not walking inside some sort of predetermined box, um, 
almost means you do have a very big zone of genius. Yeah, 100%. You know, I always say that my bipolar disorder is my greatest gift because it quite quite quickly flares up when I'm out of alignment. And so it's this compass that just immediately shows me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, exactly where I'm supposed to be putting my energy. And so that inherent knowledge of what I was, well, I didn't know what I was supposed to be here for completely. I always had this inherent knowledge of, you know, this is not going to get me there, but this is. And so I really credit that to my bipolar disorder. Yeah. So beautiful. So where can people find more about you? We talked about your podcast, Okay Sis and Scout. Where else can they connect with you? They can connect with me on Instagram at Scout Sobel and they can buy my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur on Amazon. It's essentially a 25 lesson emotional guidebook to entrepreneurs. So really for the person who wants to start their own thing, whether it's a YouTube channel, an agency, a product-based business, whatever it might be. And they've got all the business books that tell them how to hire and have a PL and all that good stuff. And this is the emotional, the emotional support for them. I started recognizing quite early on that my entrepreneurial successes came because I was applying my emotional healing tools from living with a mental illness into my business. And so I wanted to create a book that allowed specifically millennial women, but really applies to anyone, um, ways to be successful while they're chasing their dreams and ways to deal with fear, uncertainty, risk, um, putting yourself out there, um, not being able to turn your mind off, being so passionate, et cetera. So it's, it's kind of my mental health lessons into an entrepreneurial guidebook. I love that. So valuable, like such an important conversation that not many people are having, right? Like you yeah. said, find lots about your P&Ls and how to scale and how to do this. But truthfully, if you don't have the emotional piece, you don't even get to some of those other more system, you know, elements of building a business. So awesome. I'm glad you sat down and put this all down and shared it with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it really is, you just said it so specifically that, you know, sometimes you don't even get to that area of business if you can't harness and strengthen and ground in your emotional. So um, hopefully it helps people follow their dreams and be able to emotionally enjoy the ride while they're at it since entrepreneurship really is the biggest personal development journey you can walk down. So you can get that on Amazon, but if you follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel, all the good things are there in my link in bio, all, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing. Well, thank you for hanging out with us and sharing your journey. Um, it's just super inspiring and awesome. So thank you. Thank you. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.